little different opening theme today. I'm sure that there's probably some people out there who recognize that song. In case you didn't recognize it, that was Festival of Servants from the Castlevania Symphony of the Night soundtrack. A excellent game and also has a very good soundtrack as well. And there is a reason why I played that instead of my regular opening. And that has to do with the topic of today's show, which is going to be the art of the boss battle. Boss battles are something we see in many different types of video games and something that are something that's usually prevalent in many role-playing game campaigns as well. I am, of course, uh, your host, Al. And just like Arnold Schwarzenegger said he'd be back, Someone else is back today, and that is Steve, my co-host. How's it going today, Steve? Doing good. It's great to be back again. Uh, yes, yeah, Steve has been he's been in and out of port uh, on uh, his duty with the uh, U.S. Navy, so trying to squeeze a couple of shows out of him while I can. In today's show, Steve and I are going to be discussing the art of the boss fight, some memorable boss battles we've encountered in video games and also talk a little bit about role-playing games as well because really boss battles are very prevalent in role-playing games uh, as well as your you know your your video and computer games let's start by going back to some of the older games that uh, we remember playing so Steve when you first started playing uh, video games what are some of the first boss battles that you can remember I think the very first boss battle I had was playing uh, Super Mario Brothers, the 8-bit version. Yep. Uh, of course, when you get to a castle at the, the castle stage, uh, 1-4, and you see this large enemy at the end of a bridge. And if you happen to have the fireballs on you, of course, you notice that he just doesn't go down with one hit. So that kind of told you that, hey, there's something special about this guy. So, a little bit stronger than the rest of them. Yep. And, of course, when you do finally kill him, he turns into a Goomba, falls in the lava, and then you get to hear a phrase that you you will hear many more times in this game, and that is, thank you, Mario, but our princess is in another castle. So that actually is a good example of one of the first aspects of a boss battle. One of the things a boss battle can do is it can separate a video game into different segments and of course how it is going to be implemented depends on the type of game whether it's a uh, essentially a linear game like super mario brothers or whether you've got a game that's more open more sandbox like the legend of zelda another early 8-bit game and of course the boss battle served an important part in legend of zelda because once you beat the boss, not only did you get another heart container, but you also got a piece of the Triforce. Now, so far we've just briefly touched on a couple of uh, NES games, but thinking back any further, now Steve, do you happen to remember any games from the earlier systems like the Atari or Coleco uh, that had boss battles? Uh, from what I can remember, I really didn't play many games that had what you we would consider a boss battle. Because most of the times when I played those games, it's to play the two-player version, so I was actually playing against my cousin. Yeah, because you think about it, games like Combat, uh, it's probably the best example I can think of right now, is yeah, you there really wasn't a boss battle, there was just the other player. Or if you were alone, of course, it was just the computer. And... Really come to think of it, a lot of the games in that era, they really didn't have uh, bosses as we would describe them today. You know, you just had uh, your enemies. Yeah, you just completed the staging. You just went on to the next one like Pac-Man. Yeah, though, I don't know, uh, think Donkey Kong. Would you consider Donkey Kong to be a boss, even though all he really does is just throw stuff at you? No, he'd be like, like I said, Pac-Man. You just had to get up, get past him, reach reach the girl, and hey, the stage is done. You yeah, really don't fight him. That's true. We don't exactly uh, fight Donkey Kong directly. You just uh, do something like that makes him either leave the stage or when you get to the stage where you you know jump over the 
the things and you get enough of them and of course he falls on his head yeah and like pac-man the only thing you're doing is collecting all the dots while avoiding the monsters and once you get all the dots hey you're on the next stage yeah and well and once you reach the final fruit it just loops right back to the beginning Yep, and again, in Pac-Man, we didn't really have bosses there because the, well, each of the ghosts, uh, you know, did have their own uh, set pattern. Again, they, you didn't really have to beat them. It's possible to play Pac-Man without ever devouring a single ghost. And of course, once you've played in a few stages, it gets to the point where the power pellet lasts about a half a second. So usually the only way you're going to devour a ghost is if there happens to be one right next to you at the time. But uh, yeah, like I said, I that's one of my problems when thinking of the Atari in the early video game era. Uh, just really didn't have many games where there was a true boss fight, and that's one of the things that was kind of a new school, I guess you could say. Uh, when we did get to the Nintendo, the 8-bit era, is we did start to finally see games that had uh, the, the the boss battles. And of course, one of the things that's interesting about boss fights is when you're doing a boss battle, Sometimes it requires more than just uh, hitting the enemy with your sword or fireball or gun or whatever it is, whatever it is you have. A good example I can think of right off the top of my head is, again, Legend of Zelda. Now, uh, you remember the bosses at the end of the second labyrinth? Vaguely, mm, yeah. I think they're Dodongos. I don't remember how it's pronounced, but they look kind of like Triceratops. Yeah. Now, if you're playing the 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 labyrinths in order, of course, when you get to the first one, the dragon, and there's some fancy name for the first dragon. I don't remember what they call it, but you really didn't have a specific way you had to beat him. You could. Yeah, you just had to dodge his fire and come in, strike him, dodge the fire, strike him, dodge the fire, strike him until he died. Yep. And if you had bombs, you could use bombs, and or if you uh, bought the arrow before you went into level one. You know, of course, you could also use the uh, the arrow as well. But of course, when you got to the boss at the end of level two, it was a little different because, well, you could try to hit him with your sword. They but, were invulnerable to swords. Yep, all you got was just that little cling. So that's where you had to. Hopefully, you found the clue because there was the old man in the labyrinth that said. Uh, things like Dodongo dislike smoke. Um, so that made, again, for a little bit of a different boss fight because you had to uh, toss bombs at the, the creature. And, Actually, you had to put the bombs in their mouth, basically. Yeah, yeah that's true. You had to wait till they got in just the right position. Hope you uh, hit the button to, to uh, lay down the bomb before the thing hits you and took away some of your life. There was... Uh... Other bosses that had interesting uh, abilities that you had to take care of, like, uh, I forget what floor it is, but there's that one that looked like a big circle with, you know, pinchers that looked like mouths spinning oh. in a circle. Uh, now, are you talking about the one that, that had the four mouths or the one that looked like just kind of a big eye? I think the Four Miles one is the one I'm talking about. Yep, because uh, that, again, I can't remember the name of it. It's some kind of plant monster, but I know, again, you could, if you timed your bomb correctly, it was pretty easy to defeat him. But, yeah, he was a little tricky, especially as you started destroying his heads. He moved faster, and there was another boss I was thinking of, which wasn't the one you brought up, but um, it was like a sea urchin-like creature. And no matter what you did... You just couldn't hurt the thing. So there was, I think there was some clue in the labyrinth about how the boss didn't like uh, noise. So, of course, he had to use the recorder, and that caused this large disc-like thing to break up into several smaller ones, which made him a lot easier to deal with. It made him able to be hit by the sword. Yep, and actually one thing that was nice about that particular boss, you could actually stun them with uh, the boomerang as well. Uh, so it made it a lot easier to tackle uh, that particular boss. And then, of course, we have our old buddy Ganon. Yep. Because with, yeah, Ganon, we uh, had to hit him several times with the magic sword. But if you went into the boss room without the silver arrow, you were pretty much screwed. And 
Or much less without the magical sword. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, it is theoretically possible to, take, to get to Ganon without ever picking up the sword. Um, I did try playing a game of Link once where... Zelda once where I tried not to get any weapons. I did manage to get to level 9. Never actually got to Ganon, though, just because I kept dying and I was just like, ah, screw this, I'm dead. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I never played it that to that far extreme. Every time I play it now, I play until I can get the white sword before I even tackle the first labyrinth. Yeah, and that's actually uh, something called sequence breaking, which is always kind of fun, and it's something that you know you can try doing if you uh, played The Legend of Zelda several times. Is Yeah, you can try uh, getting the blue ring and uh, the white sword and a bunch of other goodies before you even tackle the first labyrinth. And of course, the Zelda did have its sequel for uh, the NES, uh, Zelda II, The Adventure of Link. And I believe you used to have this game when we were kids. Yeah, uh, I think I was the first one to get it between us. Yeah, I never actually owned Zelda II. The only times I ever possessed it is because I was borrowing it um, from uh, someone, probably <laughs> probably you or... Most likely, or yeah. one of our other friends. Yep, so uh, do you remember much about any of the bosses in that game? Well, I know, like uh, Zelda... Each of the palaces in that game had what we would consider a boss. You know, you'd get to the end of the first one, and you'd get to this, like, minotaur-looking creature, but instead of a bull head, it would be a horse's head. And then the only way that you can defeat it is if you hit the head while it's swinging this huge-ass mace at you. You know, you... you'd take care of its life, it explodes, then you go to the next stage, go to this idol, and put this crystal, and it's like, hey, you've uh, defeated that palace. And I know there were some other ones I can vaguely remember, like, wasn't there some sort of knight on a horse, and you could only beat him if you had the downward slash? Yeah. Because he would uh, be mounted first, until you get his uh, health down to a certain point, and then he would fly off the horse, and then he would be just like a normal knight that, you know, one of the blue knights that could throw their sword at you. Yeah, and there's another creature I remember from Zelda 2. I don't remember if this was a boss or just an enemy, but wasn't there something where there was like a, a lava pit and there were some dragon heads that came up? Yeah, or something similar to it. Yeah, now, was that a boss, or was that just uh, an enemy you encountered somewhere? I think it was just an enemy you encountered. It's been a while since I, I played it. Yeah, and the other one I remember, I think there was some sort of Thunderbird uh, boss you had to fight, and then, of course, at the very end, you got to fight uh, your Shadow Self, which I think that was supposed to be the form Ganon was taking to fight you. Yep. And of course, going back to Super Mario Brothers, um, the... Super Mario 2 and uh, Super Mario 3, of course, also had their own uh, distinct boss uh, fights because with uh, Super Mario 2, one of the things that was interesting about that is, of course, you didn't get fireballs like you did in the other Mario game. So in this one, a lot of the boss fights involve picking up stuff and throwing it at your opponent. And now, did you ever beat Super Mario 2? or uh, Me personally... I, I got to the stage, but I never beat it. And when I saw either you or one of our friends beat it, it just pretty much made me go, well, I've seen the ending. Why should I play it again? <laughs> yeah, because the last boss in that one is this big toad-like guy named Wart, and he uh, has this machine that shoots out vegetables, and you got to pick up the veggies and throw it in his mouth. Um, actually, one thing that is kind of interesting, the uh, it also had a variation of the Birdo boss. Well, I guess you would kind of consider him a mini-boss because, you know, he just guarded the way to the next stage, but uh, he wasn't really... He or she, because I guess depending on uh, which version of the Mario mythos you use, Birdo is either uh, a girl or a boy who thinks he's a girl. One of the two, but we're not going to get into that. Um, Because, of course, remember the first time you meet Birdo, all he does is shoots eggs at you. 
And of course, you got to pick them up and toss it at them. However, uh, when you meet Berto later, there's different variations. There's some where he throws out a fireball uh, and set up just an egg. You know, so you got to, of course, be on your toes. And then I think there's also a version of Berto where he doesn't throw eggs. He just shoots fireballs. So you got to, again, pick up a block or something and throw it at him in order to beat him. Yep, the many different stages of our, our bosses. Yep, and then they did kind of the same thing with Super Mario Brothers 3 where you had the Koopa Kids, where your main bosses you had to fight before you got to Bowser. And, of course, they uh, each had their own little, uh, I guess, how can I say, they, they had their own little style, each of them. Now, for the next game series we're going to talk about, this is what I'm going to have to lead because... I've played this particular game series more than Steve has. I mean, both of us have played several of the Super Mario Brothers and Zelda titles. But next series I'd like to talk about is Castlevania, one of my personal favorite game series uh, ever since the NES days. Uh, but again, Steve, you, have you ever played any of the Castlevania games? Yeah, I played the first one. But I, that basically, uh, that's where I stopped playing. Yeah, and I know the type of games I was more interested in. Yeah, because with... Uh, of course, Castlevania, uh, a lot of times, you know, you, of course, you had your default weapon, the whip, uh, at least in the early ones, but usually the sub-weapons were the weapons that you wanted to use against uh, the bosses in those games. Uh, like, for example, in the first Castlevania game, one of the weapons that worked well on just about everything, that was the firebomb or the holy water, depending on, you know, the, the translation you want to use. So that one was useful against most bosses because when you hit an enemy with the with the, the firebomb, it froze it in place for a couple seconds. So that gave you a chance to either throw it on the firebomb if you could throw several of them, or you could hit it with the whip and get a few cheap shots in it, in on it. Now, when you actually get to Dracula, one of the things that you see in most Castlevania games where Dracula is the boss is he has multiple forms because when you get when you played the first castlevania game did you ever get to the to dracula um no i don't think i ever got to dracula yeah because one of the things that it's actually a pretty common theme with dracula boss battles in many of the castlevania games uh he starts out he has a first form where he appears as a tall robed man and he teleports around shooting fireballs at you. Um, but then after you uh, get his health down to zero, his health replenishes and he takes on another form. So you have to be extremely careful. So that's what made the, those boss battles kind of frustrating because if you took too much damage in the first part of the battle, then it would be a lot, lot more difficult to actually complete it. As far as boss battles in Castlevania, Castlevania II Simon's Quest, that one was pretty disappointing because there were only three bosses in there. Uh, the Grim Reaper, who, as I recall, you didn't even have to fight. You could just walk right by him uh, to collect that part of Dracula's body. Because if you beat him, all you did is he got a new sub-weapon. There was the Vampire Mask. I think they called it Camilla in that game. Uh, you had to defeat her which wasn't too terribly difficult because she provided one of the items that you needed to destroy Dracula. And then, of course, when you finally got to Dracula himself, this one, he actually only had one form. He teleported around a lot, but, you know, once you beat him the first time, he's gone. You know, so you don't have to deal with another form. Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse, uh, they did a little bit different take on it. In this one, Dracula actually had three forms. Uh, the first one, again, he appeared as the tall robed guy that would teleport around. Then once you beat that form, then he turned into this big mass of floating heads, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And then the third stage, yeah, he actually had three uh, phases in this one instead of two, he turned into some big statue thing that looked kind of like the uh, ancient Midis demon uh, Penu Penuzu, I think it's pronounced. But yeah, so yeah, that was kind of interesting. Again, I, I don't know what they were thinking with that floating head. 
and the, I guess this theme would be repeated in several of the other uh, Castlevania games as well, where you know you usually uh, you beat Dracula in his human form, and then he turned into some kind of monster, and you had to beat him again. Yep. So gotta love those multiple stages of the boss. Yep, and that was actually a kind of a boss rush, I guess you could say, which brings us to our next. Uh, video game we'd like to talk about, Mega Man. Yeah, Mega Man was interesting. Now, do you know what game inspired the uh, inspired some of the boss fights in Mega Man? No. Rock paper scissors. Oh, cool. Yep, because one of the things that you know, of course, rock beats scissors, scissors beats paper, paper beats rock. So the I saw an interview with the designer a while ago, and and he was saying that that was one of his inspirations was this whole idea of you know rock paper scissors where I know for those who may not be aware of uh, what the Mega Man games are like, uh, you ha- your main character Mega Man is a robot, and he has to fight these other enemies, the robot masters, and whenever he defeats a robot master, he gains that robot master's weapon or a variation of it anyway. And the way this the game works is there's some bosses that are strong against uh, some types of weapons, but really weak against others. For example, uh, Metal Man, one of the bosses from uh, Mega Man 2, he has a weapon called the Metal Blade, where he throws a little gear at you. And it's actually a very handy weapon when Mega Man gets it because he can actually throw it in eight different directions. A common trend in the Mega Man games is at the end of the game, after you've defeated each of the robot masters in their stage, you go to the main antagonist, Dr. Wily's stage. And not only do do you fight uh, unique robot masters in there, which you don't get their weapon, but again, they're a pain in the butt, but you also have to defeat each of the robot masters again. So yeah, sometimes you do have to use a robot master's own weapon against him. So that was one of the first games I can think of anyway that used the boss rush, where uh, after you beat a boss near the end of the game, you would have to fight all the bosses again. Yeah, just when you thought it was over. Yep, and now in the case of Mega Man, it actually wasn't too bad because hopefully by then you knew, okay, which which weapons to use against which enemy. So that could make it a lot easier. That could definitely make the fight a lot easier. And all I can say is nowadays, when you go back and play games like, Meg, you know, the Mega Man games again, thank goodness for the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because back in the day when we were playing it, unless you happened to get, like, Nintendo Power... Uh, and they had a walkthrough of the game. Yeah, a lot of it was really trial and error. It's like, like, okay, uh, well. Or talking to friends. It's like, so how'd you beat this guy? Oh, I use this one's weapon. Oh, I got to try that. Yeah, and like I said, occasionally there's stuff you just wouldn't expect. But, hey, it, it worked. Another video game series that I thought had some memorable boss fights, Final Fantasy. And I believe you played several of the Final Fantasy games as well. Yes, I have. Yeah, because... Now, I remember this from the first one. Uh, I don't remember it from the second because it's been a while since I played it, but in the first uh, early Final Fantasy games, really the boss battles weren't anything too terribly unique. The bosses were basically just monsters with lots of hit points, but other than that, they had access to the same spells that you did. But, of course, in later Final Fantasy games... Bosses had their own unique attacks. Um, any that stand out in your mind that really kind of drove you crazy? Uh, I would have to say uh, Final Fantasy VI's boss. That one uh, had its moments. Which boss? The final. Oh, yes, with Kefka? Yes. Yeah, like one of the uh, one of his moves that always I hated... Uh, Fallen One. Remember that move? Oh. Yeah, basically takes all your party members, brings them down to one hit point. Then uh, Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy IV, the after years, I know they had some they had some really tough boss fights, uh, especially the after years. Uh, now, again, I know you've played that game. 
How far did you get in the after years? Uh, I'm at the final stage. Basically, I'm at the stage where I should be heading towards the final boss. Have you tackled any of the optional super bosses? No. Uh, they are cheap bastards. And that's one of the things that always drove me crazy about some of the boss fights in Final Fantasy IV and its sequel is, yeah, you had some enemies. They were just downright cheap because, you know, again, they would inflict these massive amounts of damage and, uh, you know, so you didn't really have enough time to recover or to build up your defenses. Or before he does another attack that basically decimates your party. Exactly, and... But yeah, some of the optional super bosses, I can't remember their names. I know one of them is this big dragon. Uh, there's an, there's another... I think it's either ultimate, ultimate weapon or Omega weapon. Omega weapon's a robot-like thing. Uh, I Like I said, I can't remember the name of the, the, the dragon super boss. He... I know it begins with an S. I'm pretty sure it does. And of course, one thing that is kind of interesting about Final Fantasy IV The After Years they do bring in some of the earlier bosses. Uh, like you fight Ultros and the Ghost Train from Final Fantasy VI. And, of course, you also fight Doomgaze, another fun boss. Remember Doomgaze? Woohoo! Always like to kill the party members slowly. Doomgaze was an interesting boss fight because you couldn't beat him the first time around. Uh, what happened is after you got Doomgaze down to a certain number of hit points, he would flee, and you had to usually fight him like four or five times before you know, before you could finally defeat him. Now, he first appeared in Final Fantasy VI, and the only way to find him was you had to fight him on the airship while you're flying around, which was kind of interesting because, you know, usually when you're on the airship in Final Fantasy games, you don't encounter enemies. And then in the after years there was a certain level that you encountered him on. And again, you had to keep walking around in circles until you finally encountered him enough times where you could defeat him. Yep. Yeah, and then the final boss of that game, the creator, uh, again, he had some powerful moves, uh, some other stuff he would do that, you know, really drove you up the wall is, you know, of course you could spend several rounds just casting your protection spells and your haste spells on yourself. Well, he had this nice little move that would wipe out, basically would debuff the entire party. So you know how you spent several rounds casting haste spells and protection spells on yourself? Gone. Bye-bye. And I'm sure that there's other bosses that have used that particular tactic in the Final Fantasy series. And yeah, it certainly makes it uh, challenging, but it is cheap as all hell. Yeah. Yeah, and the uh, one final thought about Final Fantasy IV, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but occasionally there were fight boss fights where you weren't really sure whether you were supposed to win or lose. Oh, yeah. You know, there's that one fight where you had to purposely lose in order to go somewhere. Yeah, and I think there were a few of those, because I know there were a couple of those I can recall in uh, Final Fantasy IV, The After Years. I understand how it adds a bit of drama to the plot, but it, it gets annoying, you know? Because, you know, your instinct as a gamer is you want to keep fighting. But, you know, when you have a fight that you're supposed to lose, well, again, then when you get in one of these fights, and if you're not sure if you're supposed to lose or not, you think you're supposed to lose and you lose, guess what? Game over. Now going to uh, another... Uh video game system that had uh, boss battles, I would have to say would be uh, in the Star Wars series, Knights of the Old Republic. Yep, uh, we've talked about this particular game system a couple times before, and again, one of my favorite RPGs. Yep, it definitely uh, made it an interesting one. Yeah, and the... Yeah, I'm trying to think, because there were... I know there were some, well, I'm not sure if you'd consider this particular one a boss battle or not, but in the first one, when you were in the Black Vulker hideout, I think that was, there was some Warring Street Gang, and I think one of them was the Black Vulkers. Yeah. But remember, there was that uh, that Rancor. Yeah. Uh, 
That wasn't really a boss. That was just a powerful monster that was in your way. Yeah. You had, like, three different ways that you could defeat it. Yeah, because it was one of those monsters where you, uh, you know, you couldn't tackle it head on. I think the way you're supposed to do it is you can put, like, a landmine or a grenade or something in its food. Well, actually, you can, if I remember correctly, it's it's a it's a grenade, but it has that scent thing, which would uh, draw it in. It would eat it, and boom. Yep. <laughs> or you can do, like, what I did the very first time. Just kept stepping out of the door, throwing the grenade, watching it explode, jumping back in. Jumping back out, throwing the grenade, jumping back in. Really, I never, I never tried doing it that way. I always, I always did the option where you had to have one of your parties go into, one of your party members go into stealth mode, and then you know you put the rancor attractant and the grenade in its food, so that it would come in and would eat the food, and then you know, then kill itself that way. Yep, mine takes a little bit longer than that because, like I said, it's grab, throw, boom, oh crap, it's coming, duck back in. Yeah. And you're walk back. Jump back out. Throw another grenade. Boom. Oh, crap. It's coming back at me again. Jump back out. <laughs> yeah. And another game, uh, when you speak of Rancors, another Star Wars game that had a really interesting fight with a Rancor. And I mentioned, I know I mentioned this game as well, and I keep messing up the title. I think, again, it's the Jedi Academy Jedi Knight 2. Um, there is a stage in there where there's this mutated Rancor in a spaceport that's just going on this rampage and you have to find a way to defeat it. However, your weapons can't harm it. So as you're running around in this warehouse, you're trying to find something in there that you can use to defeat this rancor. So I thought it was a very tense boss battle because there were, I think only like two places in the warehouse in that stage where you could actually go and be safe. Just about anywhere else you went, the rancor could reach in and it could smack you. And, of course, since it's this huge mutated Rancor, it does tons of damage. And in case that wasn't hectic enough, you also had several cult members that you had to fight in there as well. So I would say probably one of the most tense boss battles I've ever experienced. So, sorry, well, you mentioned Rancors, and that got me thinking to the that particular Rancor battle, but... Back yep. to the topic you brought up, the Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, the, the end of the first one, I had an interesting uh, boss battle. Uh, you're fighting your major antagonist in there, Darth Malak. And yep. uh, one thing that was kind of interesting about that battle is there were several um, suspended animation capsules around the, the area where you were fighting him. And there was a Jedi in, captive in each of those where... I think they described it, wasn't it? They weren't dead, but yeah, they were in like some sort of suspended animation that were that was drawing their uh, force power or life force from them. Yeah, and the, the reason why every time Malik, you know, he get his hit points down enough, he'd run up to one of them, draw the power from it, and bam, he's back to full health again. Yeah, and it, that's one of those fights where it could take a little trial and error because you wouldn't. It is possible for you to destroy the the capsules using either force lightning or lightsaber throw. But you're not always thinking that when you've got this big scary dude with a lightsaber chasing you, right? <laughs> yep. And actually one thing that you could do if uh, I forgot what the name of the force ability was, but the ability that Malak used to draw life from them, you could use it too. Yep, if you were dark side. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately... I don't know, Knights of the Old Republic 2, I didn't find the boss battle in that one to be as tense or as exciting. What about you? Yeah, it's like, okay, you're fighting like three or four lightsabers, and once you defeat them, you fight uh, Kreia, and bam, done. Yeah, that one didn't have as much dramatic impact as the first one did, and... I guess that's one of my points with boss battles. One of the things they should do, they should do more than just say, hey, uh, you're about, you're reaching a point in the game where something important is going to happen. There should be an element of drama to them, something that, you know, leaves you at the edge of your seat. And that's where, 
you know, as I said, the Rancor battles we mentioned and the battle with Darth Malak and Knights of the Old Republic one, it had that effect on you. But yeah, the one in the end of uh, Knights of the Old Republic two, while it wasn't necessarily a cakewalk, it just didn't have it didn't have that emotional impact. See. That's the reason why people are saying Knights of the Old Republic one was a lot better. Yeah, and I. I know one of these days we're going to have to do an entire show just about those two games. I because I know it's something that we could we could probably easily do another one or two episodes just about those two games. But I know another game you wanted to talk about, and this is one that you're going to have to lead because I haven't played this particular game, and that's Dragon Age. Yeah, Dragon Age. Uh, for those that are probably know about it, you know the first one, Dragon Age Origins. You know, to begin with, you know, you have a choice of six different beginnings. But throughout the game, it's all the same fights, just how you go about it. You know, when I first got to that final boss, when you're fighting, you know, the Archdemon, you're on top of the castle and it has like those four ballistas around. Well, once I got to one, I just stayed out of the way of the dragon, just kept firing the ballistas. Took a long while, but I was able to defeat the dragon that way. A little cheated on that, I would have to say, but but then, of course, then I get... Uh, oh, Steve, Steve, if they didn't want you to use the ballista, why did they put them there? I know. In <laughs> fact, four of them. Make use of your surroundings. It's one of the best things you can do. Yeah, I know. And then I got an update for that game, and they finally got smart. They took the ballista. fire so many, then the machine jams. Oh, no. Yeah, it's... that then made the boss fight even more fun. <laughs> Unless you were rogue and uh, you fiddled with it and uh, unlock it, and you can fire it a couple more times before it jams again. But I'm sure that it's kind of hard to do that if you've got, uh, you know, you got a big dragon chasing after you. Well, that never, and once you get it hit points down enough, it calls for help. Oh, fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you only have four members in your party. Yeah, that in a way, that almost sounds like some of the boss battles in uh, Transformers War for Cybertron. Because uh, in that game, uh, the way it, there's a couple of boss battles that really stick out in your mind. The final boss for the Decepticon campaign is Omega Supreme. And the final one for the Autobot campaign is Trypticon. And in both of those, again, you've got your little uh, party, and you're up against this, you know, huge honking robot. And there are, you know, turrets you can use to help, but, you know, still, Omega Supreme wasn't as bad, but, yeah, the uh, Trypti Trypticon, well, actually, there's two Trypticon battles. The first one is actually a lot more fun, because what's happening is, uh, Trypticon is in orbit around Cybertron, and you control a party of, I think it's Air Raid, Silverbolt, and Jetfire, and they're inside of uh, Trypticon, and they destroy his transformation cog so that he has to revert to robot form and fall back to Cybertron. And so the first part of the Trypticon battle, you're, you're in your jet form, and you're falling towards Cybertron, and you're trying to destroy or you're trying to shoot out Trypticon's jetpack. But then when he actually crashes into Cybertron, then you have a choice between Bumblebee, Ironhide, and Optimus Prime, and you fight him on the ground. And oh he is cheap. Because not only is he really powerful, there's not many safe zones in his stage, but you have to really be aware of your surroundings and use them in order to defeat him. Well, then there was Dragon Age 2, where you're in the final stages. Because one thing about Dragon Age, where they call it the Dark Fantasy, you you have to choose what side of the battle you want to participate on. And, of course, me being who I am, sided with my character's sister and went with the mages. And, of course, in that battle... The head mage guy that you, you've teamed up with 
decides to turn on you. <laughs> Turncoat, traitor, backstabber. Well, he decided to do uh, forbidden magic, and it, it got carried away, so you had to defeat him. And no sooner than you defeated him, you go confront the leader of the opposing fraction and have to fight that one, too. <laughs> and, of course, that one, you know, has this special idol-made sword that can bring statues to life. <laughs> so while you're here wailing on that person, that person would jump away, do a little prayer. It's only all the statues that are in the courtroom, in the courtyard would come alive and come at you. So then you'd have to take care of those before the person would jump back in, and then you'd have to wail on that person some more. He'd jump out. More statues would come alive. Yeah, don't you hate it when your uh, bosses summon help? Yeah. It's like, you remember uh, Final Fight? The fir the boss at the end of the first stage, Damon, or, or Thrasher, depending on which version. But yeah, you know, occasionally he'll uh, jump back on this, into the background, and he'll whistle, and then, you know, hey, here's three, four more guys you gotta deal with. Yep. Yeah, cheap son of a... Anyways. <laughs> and then once you finally beat the... You know, get the hit points to where technically there is no more. And the person suddenly gets uh, absorbed into the weapon, becomes this weird uh, statue. And it's like, you're like, um, time to get out of here. And you walk <laughs> away into the sunset. That almost seemed anticlimactic. Yeah, basically. Then it comes out with Dragon Age Inquisition. I mean, from what I can tell, that one takes place like maybe months after. Of course, I've just started that game, so can't tell much about it right now. Mm -hmm. Other than it is too many things to do in that game. <laughs> well, you know, they're just trying to provide lots of variety and lots of challenges for you. Well, considering the uh, designer said, yeah, I want a game that you can spend 20 to 200 hours playing. Well, that's kind of cool because... I mean, for me, given a choice, I would rather have a game that's designed to give me one or two hundred hours worth of gameplay, because at least then I feel I have my money's worth, which is one of the reasons that I enjoyed uh, Knights of the Old Republic 1 and 2 so much, is, you know, yeah, they're a good 40, 45 hours uh, to play through. So, you know, that's because there's just so much stuff that you can do in there. You know, I mean, I given a choice, I'd much rather, you know, have a game that does give me that than having some game where the, you know, like I've complained about it before, but uh, like Fall of Cybertron, where, you know, you've got this, you know, all these features that are designed for multiplayer, but then you've got this like 10 hour story mode that just kind of seems like an afterthought. And I know there's been other games that have been criticized for the same thing. Um, I'm not an expert on the franchise. But things like, you know, Call of Duty, you know, Medal of Honor, uh, you know, all these first-person shooter type games. I've heard that's one of the other com complaints that people have about those is, you know, again, they seem like they're focusing more on the online multiplayer and the single-player campaign is just kind of thrown on there haphazardly. Oh, gee, look at that. We got off topic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that never happens. Well, I know this uh, episode has gotten to be uh, quite a bit longer than I anticipated. So the I did mention we were going to touch a little bit on tabletop RPGs. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And Steve asked me to take kind of take the reins on this one because uh, you haven't really done much game mastering in a while, have you? No. The moment that most of my friends that I used to play with uh, transferred off the island generations nowadays it's far and few between and the ones that do my rank that i am and them you know it's a little bit of conflict of interest yeah so well let's now as as a player though because i know do you still have a chance to at least play tabletop games every now and then well I, i've basically gotten uh some tabletop stuff it's just Try and find people to do it is the hard part now. Because yes. this is the more digital age. Yep. 
So as a, a player, what are some things you like to see in boss battles? Oh, well, boss battles in RPG that, from what I can remember, always seem to be just a little bit more difficulty when having to deal with normal people that we've been fighting. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think can be uh, challenging about designing a, a, a truly exceptional uh, boss battle. Because, yeah, you can throw in something like, you know, a dragon and it's just going to be a big monster. But one thing that's nice is if you can think of ways to work in some sort of special weakness. A good example is the Tarrasque in D&D. Uh, that's a good example of a monster that can make for a very memorable encounter. Because not only is it powerful as sin, but you can't just hack at it a bunch of times and then watch it die. You know, you have to reduce it to negative 30 hit points and then use a wish spell to kill it. Now, I know that's how it works in 1st and 2nd edition. I haven't seen the stats for the Tarrasque in 3rd, 4th, or 5th, so I'm not sure uh, if it follows the same rules. But um, I know one that's one of the things I try doing as a game master. When I'm creating an adventure, you know, I'm going to, of course, put some... I guess you could say mini bosses in there. But when I'm designing something that is meant to be a boss, the main thing I always like to try to shoot for is, and I mentioned this before, dramatic effect. Uh, one example that um, I can remember off the top of my head, when I did my Marvel superheroes campaign at my local game store, the players got kidnapped by Arcade and taken to Murder World. Now, for those who don't know, um, Arcade is basically a millionaire whose hobby is killing people. Uh, he, what he does is he uses his money and his resources to build these uh, um, death trap amusement parks. And he'll kill anyone for a million dollars that way. However, part of his, uh, his terms is when he creates a murder world, there does have to be at least a slim chance of escape. When my players reached Arcade for the final boss battle, uh, what I did is I had him in this giant robot that they were not strong enough to damage. Um, however, this robot had heat panels that had to open up every few rounds so it could let off excess heat. So one of the things they had, they had to discover that by trial and error because they realized that their powers weren't really doing anything. And it was kind of interesting because when they first saw these heat panels open, they weren't sure what was going to happen. You know, at first, they thought he was going to unleash some new attack. But as when they eventually found out, well, when those heat panels open, nothing happens. So guess what? That's what we got to attack. And then the final boss for that particular campaign was Dr. Doom. Uh, what happened is Doom had obtained godlike powers. So in order to defeat him, they received a sword from Loki that was called Vengeance Ninefold. And what they had to do is they, they had to find out through trial and error that, you know, the only way to destroy Doom is they had to hit him with the sword nine times. And then once that happened, then that took away his godly power so they could finally defeat him. Which, then again, when you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Dr. Doom, that's... Even without godly powers, it's still not going to be easy. Because, hey, let's face it, it's Dr. Freaking Doom. What do you expect? We're about out of time here because I know we've been going quite a bit here. But so I know we didn't get Dogs are getting restless. Yeah, and my dogs are starting to whine here in the background. I don't know if you can, how well you can hear them. But, yeah, for, I know, as I said, I know we could go on for uh, designing final encounters in uh, tabletop RPGs. But I know for me, the main thing I like to focus for on our uh, first dramatic effect, but I also like to try to design encounters where the players can't just go in with their swords swinging and their spells blazing and emerge triumphant. Um, I like to try to find ways to challenge them, you know, put in different weaknesses so that way, again, they do have to uh, use a little bit of wits and wisdom in order to overcome the encounter. So, any final thoughts for you, Steve? Uh, can't say I do about this topic. Just got to wait until next time I come back and port. Yep, and any uh, any boss battles you can think of that 
like I said, we I know we've talked about several ones, but if you had to choose one boss battle as the most memorable one you've ever encountered in a video game, or maybe one that you remember in a role-playing game, uh, tabletop session, what would you say that the most memorable boss fight you've ever encountered would be? I would have to say the most memorable one I had was when I was playing Final Fantasy VIII. That's one of the ones that, you know, has three different stages. And on the third stage, you can finally draw the most powerful spell in the game. Of course, you can only use it on the final boss. There ain't no point saving it. (laughs) Yeah, and for me, I'd have to say it's someone I discussed before uh, from the uh, Jedi Academy Jedi Knight 2 where you had the mutated Rancor because it told you right away that your weapons were useless against it. Um, So again, you're trying to find something in this warehouse that you can use to kill this Rancor, but it's easier said than done because you got a bunch of raving lunatic uh, Sith Lords with lightsabers chasing after you. So yeah, so it definitely takes, uh, really puts the tension on you, really keeps you on your toes but it's still a lot of fun once you finally survived it. <laughs> so that's all we have for today. I uh, hope to squeeze a couple more episodes about out of Steve before he uh, heads off into the sea again. So thanks again for uh, joining us today. Have a good evening, morning, afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. Talk to you guys later.